Hey, y'all. I'm Sandra Pham. And I'm Min Vu. Welcome to Asian in Austin. Hi, Sandra. Hey, Min. What's going on? <laughs> you know, just here we are recording another episode and we're talking this month about food and different cuisines and just like how food has impacted our families, how it shows up in our life. Yeah, Sandra, what's uh, what comes to top of mind when you think about food? Yeah, so food is such like a big, important part of my life. And I think at the end of the day, the way that I definitely still connect with my family is always through food. That's always going to be the connector for us. So what's interesting, though, and I'm wanting to do, I think this is part of my checklist, is check out more Asian cuisines that I'm not very familiar with, Cambodian being one of them. I definitely don't think I've ever had Cambodian food. Have you? I have because of Sherry's uh, pop-up actually. Um, and yeah, so it's it's really good. There are, as we'll hear in the interview with Sherry, um, there are some kind of like crossover dishes that are familiar to like Vietnamese cuisine, but also some that are very specific to Cambodia. And so, yeah, it's really good. So our guest this month is Sherry Kong, and I can read a little bit more about her bio. I do have kind of a personal connection to Sherry. Her little brother, Mark, is my older brother's really great friend. Our families kind of have known each other for a number of years now. And so it's really exciting to have the chance to really like get to know Sherry a little bit more and learn more about kind of the background of how she started Mama Kong. But I'll share a little bit more of her bio now, and then we'll we'll get into the, the interview. Sherry's family immigrated to Austin in 1982 after fleeing the war in Cambodia. After teaching in Japan and New York's Chinatown, Sherry and her partner Brandon decided to reset the button on life, move back home, and introduce Austinites to Cambodian food. She trained and cooked with her mom every week until she learned the recipes she grew up eating. They did pop-ups, festivals, and private dinners until 2020, when they realized they could still stay true to their mission without the overhead cost of a brick and mortar. Sherry and Brandon are still introducing people to Cambodian food and exploring ways to curate special connections that revolve around deliciousness, positivity, and shared experiences. I'm excited to be able to hear more about Mama Kong from Sherry, and uh, let's get into it. Hey, Sherry, welcome to Asian and Austin podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, we're we're super excited. Um, you know, we'd like to start and open our episodes with a little bit of background. So if you don't mind sharing your ethnicities and any other identities in your background that you'd like to share with our audience. Um, I, my name is Sherry Kong. Um, I am Cambodian American. Pronouns are she, her. I came here as um, an immigrant, born in a refugee camp, lived in Austin since 82. So you're looking at a little bit of a unicorn, not a little bit of a unicorn, like I am a unicorn. <laughs> We're very rare these days. 
been here all my life, essentially. Lived in Japan for a year, in New York for five years, kind of bounced around here and there. And then now we're like back home, back in my hometown. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You are a unicorn, <laughs> but I love that. And and you came back. So I know we'll we'll dive into that. But uh, thanks so much for, for spending some time with us and want to just kind of catch up with you. How's the year going? We've been busy. It, it's been like a good busy, but it, it is moving quickly. <laughs> In your times where you're where you're able to take a pause, like how have you been able to spend that that pause time? So like I said, like after like the holiday craze, like we spent January pretty much like not doing anything where we we're trying to like recuperate and just kind of like we weren't traveling, we weren't doing any pop-ups or catering. Like we just kind of like paused to kind of like reset like mentally and physically because we were just doing so much. So January was like very slow and like I, I kind of like moments like that because I, I just, it, it, it took so long to kind of get back into a routine of like leaving your house. And like I said, I feel like a lot of people, us included, like we're trying to catch up on those lost years, but then we like forget that we also like need time to rest. And so January was kind of like our resting month. Like we, we kind of like went back to lockdown mode and we were like, I don't want to go to the grocery store. You go to the grocery store. Like I, it's, you know, I've only been indoors for two days. Like I want to make it to four days, you know? And then I think slowly in February, we started kind of like moving back into like putting things on our calendar and then not quite hitting the ground running, but just kind of like staying busy and getting back into our routine. So it's been good. It's, it's nothing too crazy I think like it's a little bit at a time a week you know like a few things like a week yeah that's awesome yeah and okay so you mentioned pop-ups and I don't know if we've officially at least in this interview yet established that you run (laughs) Mama Kong (laughs) um, which um, is awesome and we'll get to kind of like the origin stories there but I like obviously we have a history our families Mm -hmm. are pretty connected And that's really exciting, but I'm curious to learn more about, you know, if like how food or like entrepreneurship, small business ownership has been a part of like your family's background. Like I know your parents have Serena's in Round Rock, Mm -hmm. uh, but I wasn't sure actually like the history of how y'all got into kind of those ventures. And then obviously you have Mama Kong too, so... My parents have a crazy background. I'm sure like, you know, every immigrant children can relate, excuse my dog, uh, can relate, you know, like coming to America, it's like not easy. And you're trying to like make a living for not just yourself, but like for your family, you know, like your kids, like they have to eat. How am I going to put food on the table? So when my parents um, first moved to the States, like my dad was working three jobs. My mom was, um, like working at the Hyatt Hotel, the one on the lake, like basically like making beds. And she was like a hotel lady, like went in all the rooms and like she was like a cleaning lady in a hotel. And my dad was working at Denny's. And then before it was just like a lot of like service industry jobs and, you know, two and three each just to like put food on the table. Um, So they've always been like hard workers. And then um, in 1999, they had, I was in high school at the time, they had a friend who wanted to sell their donut shop in Round Rock and reached out to my parents, or I don't know how they found out about it. Or maybe it was like a friend of a friend that were like, they were like, Hey, there's a donut shop in Round Rock that's for sale. Like, do you guys want to 
you know, um, quit your assembly line job at the time. Both of them were at, I think it was AMD and Trimetrics. And they said, okay, like we're, we're going to take, we don't know anything about donuts. I don't even think they, we, I ate donuts growing up, but they were like, we, there's this opportunity where we can, you know, be our own bosses. So let's take over this donut shop. And I was a senior in high school. It was just so crazy. Like we were all like, what do you, why all of a sudden, like my family owns a donut shop and it just like seemed to happen overnight, you know, and their hours changed. Cause you know, you have to wake up at like one in the morning to go, you know, and make the dough, make sure that it rises in time for like a 5 a.m., 6 a.m. open time. And we still have that donut shop, um, but my parents are retired now and they sold it to my brother and sister-in-law. So it's still in the family, but you know, they, it's since 1999, I was a senior in high school. We, uh, I was just a donut shop kid, you know? <laughs> a quick plug recently, a couple of years ago, I watched a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, Sherry, it's called the donut King. Yes. There's deep history between the Cambodian American communities and how donut shops started. <laughs> so quick plug, if you haven't seen it, the donut it's King. Great move. Oh, watch it. It's called the donut King. Yeah. If you want to know more about like Cambodians owning donut shops, like we, we're one of those Cambodian families that did that. Yeah. So amazing. I love just kind of the stories. It, it really was a way for lots of Cambodian families to be able to support their families and what an American staple like donuts. Um, To this day, like my, my family, they still will not hire outside a family. (laughs) So they just are like, okay, do we have non-cousin cousins or do we know someone who's Cambodian? And they just come in and help all the time. And I'm just like, y'all like take a break, you know, like hire some folks to work the counter and but no they and this is what this guy did in the donut king he's like do we know family like he just kept giving jobs to like cambodian folks and then teaching them his ways and rippled effect to that so it seems like on early in your childhood you kind of got a taste of entrepreneurship and being in the food industry how did that kind of uh, grow into working with your mother and like uh, really getting into creating dishes and things like that Well, it's so funny. I mean, even I say like as a child, you don't realize these moments or these lessons that you're learning or even witnessing. And I say a child, because even in high school, you still are a stupid kid. You know, like I I didn't know how much they sacrifice. And at the time when I had to go work it, I was like, I was going to school. It was like my senior year in high school. I had to get up early, go to the donut shop and help out, you know, because I'm a good Cambodian daughter, right? Like it's, you're supposed to. And then I went to school and it was just a little bit like resentment at the time. Cause I was like, why are you making me do this? And I'm supposed to be a little wild and crazy and having this experience as a high schooler, I'm about to go to college. And, but you realize those things later on, you know, and like with me, it was, it wasn't until really like I moved away from home and I didn't have access to my mom's food anymore. And I was like craving the home cooked meals, the smells, just being in the kitchen with her or her like yelling at me that I wasn't doing something fast enough or doing this incorrect. But I learned as an adult to like really appreciate those moments because in her own way, she was trying to teach me these recipes that now, now that I'm older, like now I'm craving. She was like, see, I told you, you should have been learning all this stuff and these lessons, you know? Um, so it's, it's definitely like it. The older I get, the more I appreciate just how hardworking they are. And, you know, she's an Asian mom, so she's not going to be like, you need 
you need to be in the kitchen with me because one year in 2008, you're going to miss it because you're going to move away. Like she, she didn't say that, but she did all along in her own little ways, you know? And of course now I just, when I'm cooking with her or cooking for other people, I'm just like, this was it all along. It was in front of me, but I I had to kind of go through this time to really like appreciate it. Cause when I was, you know, when she was yelling at me and telling me how to, you need to come into the kitchen and learn how to do this. Cause one day you're going to get married and you're not going to know anything. I'm just like, but I'm trying to watch MTV. Like I'm trying to watch Clarissa explains it all. Like in things, I'm, you know, like we're just dumb kids. And then now that I'm entering my forties, I'm like, wow, I get it. You know? And, and, and I'm going to continue getting it because it's just, it happens when it happens. And the older you get, like the more appreciative you are of these lessons that are always being taught, you know? Yeah, that's so funny that she didn't explicitly say those things, right? You need to be in the kitchen with me or what have you. M- my experience with my mom uh, around food is more like, she's like, I am the only person that can give you this food. So <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to make it, but right, I'm right. going to... Like monopolize that bag and um, like the power you better, that they so want, you better right? like take my food while you still can basically right. it's like her route I do want to eventually like get in the kitchen with her and take hold of those recipes because also I don't know about your mom but her recipes are not written down they're not they're like you just like do it until it feels exactly. good I guess or like you add when I first started cooking with her when I moved back home and this is jumping around again when I moved back home to learn how to cook those recipes. It was a lot of making her do things over again. Like she'll fill a pot of water and she's about to tell me how to make a soup. And she just expects me to like watch and just learn and like have like a, you know, memory in my head. And I would be like, can, can, can we pause? Can you dump that water out? And can we take a measuring cup and you tell me how much that is? And it's like, okay, so nine cups of water. Okay, now move on. And then it's funny because she's like, oh, like, this is so easy. Can't you just learn it? You dumb, dumb, you know? <laughs> I'm like, wait, that's just not the way that you learn how to cook. But I guess when she grew up, that's how she learned how to cook was just being in the kitchen with whoever it was. And then she just had to learn it, you know? Otherwise, it, I guess it's like sink or swim method, you know? Yeah. But I'm like, I'm about to open up a food business and I can't just wing it you know, yeah. but after six years of cooking with her, now I'm I'm kind of learning that like, oh, you actually can wing it, you know, like I'm kind of at that space now where I'm not referring back to those recipes that I jotted down. Um, I'm just kind of like eyeballing certain things. But I, I think it's like I've grown up with that, that palate because I've been eating it my whole life. So if I'm tasting something that even I've made or I'm making, and it doesn't taste right, at least I know that I know what it should taste like because I've been eating it my whole life, you know? So it's like, okay, it needs a little bit more sugar. Oh no, like that's too sour or not enough. So it's funny because it, I'm starting to make things, most things now, every now and then I still have to refer back to a recipe, but I I can pretty much make it just memorization now, you know, but it it was quite um, like boot camp sort of situation. Like we were kind of navigating this thing together and she was like, why do you keep asking me to pause? And I'm like, cause I have to write it down. And then, we'll make it, you know, a few weeks later. And she's like, I never said to put that in there. And I'm like, mom, I, I have it written down. Like I made you <laughs> like, are you sure? There's like two things of turmeric. And she's like, I, I don't put turmeric in there. I'm like, lady, you're trying to. <laughs> so it's well, a I think that goes back that. to like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like growing appreciation. She is talented and experienced and like has all of that 
right. uh, knowledge that just is secondhand to her at this point, yes. right? Yeah. And I feel like same with with my mom. It's like she, she's not going to tell you measurements exactly, but it's because uh-huh. of years of like right, trial right. and error and just like knowing kind of how those tastes combine and, and whatnot. Yeah. But, and I um, think cooking, like if, you, you know, I don't know if like you guys cook a lot, but even if you follow a recipe sometimes, it still will be a little bit off. So like, I think you have to get to a point where you just know what it should taste like and know what it needs. You like pay attention to the smells. How does it look? Does it have too much water? Is it going to dilute these flavors? And so, yeah, but it was funny. She's been cooking for how long? And then it was like the first week I started cooking with her. She's like, don't you know everything by now? Like It's like a crash course. I'm like, you want me to catch up in a week? What you know, like absolutely not going to happen. Speaking of crash course, I personally have not had a ton of experience with Cambodian food. So I'd love for you to explain what are some staple dishes? What are some staple ingredients and flavors? And how was that received really in the early days? I think that's why we started doing pop-ups and like didn't just like dive in into a brick and mortar or like a truck, even though everyone was like, you know, you're not like, where is it? Where's the truck? Where's the brick and mortar? And we wanted to do a pop-up and kind of like move slowly into introducing folks to Cambodian food because it is not a well-known cuisine. Like it's very underrepresented. And we wanted to kind of have this like education phase and tell folks what it looks like, what it smells like, what ingredients, like what makes it different. Because everyone I think like knows, you know, like Vietnamese food and it's like freaking delicious and Thai food and Chinese food, you know, but they're like, what's Cambodian food? That's always like the question is like, what is it? Like what makes it different than these other cuisines? And we always say that there are like two ingredients that makes Cambodian food very different than our neighbors. And that is grung, which is the lemongrass paste. Specifically, like, I think everyone, everyone's mom can make like that lemongrass paste. Like they have their own kind of go-to recipe. And, you know, it's lemongrass, it's longal, turmeric, garlic, shallots, you know, uh, kaffir lime leaves. And that paste, you can use it in different ways. You can put it in a soup, you can stir fry with it, you can... It's like that thing that's like a base of a lot of other things that you can make. And then the other thing that makes Cambodian food Cambodian food is our fermented mudfish. And basically it's like mudfish that's a gray color. It doesn't look very appetizing. It's very, very salty. And that's used, you know, I always say a little bit goes a long way. And again, if you take a tablespoon of that, you dilute it in some water, you can use that in your soup. You can broil it and then you can add that into like some other spices and seasoning. You can, you know, put your steak in there or eat it with seafood. But those two ingredients, I think, is what makes us different than our neighbors. And obviously, I think there's a lot of um, shared ingredients just because like geographically we are, it's regionally the same things. It's like, I know y'all have dishes that are overlap. Like you say ban xiao, right? We say ban chao. It's like same, same, but different. But yeah, I think there are a few dishes that, are just there's like a part of the whole pie there is a sliver that is Cambodian food and so talk about maybe the reception from Austinites in those early days primarily people who who probably weren't like non-Cambodian folks right Um, and what was it like to maybe try to curate that first menu so that you know people could get introduced to the the cuisine it was a little bit tricky in the beginning when we told our families that we were moving back home and we were going to start a Cambodian food business. Um, Cause they're like, y'all both went to college. You got an education. You're both it, like, you have careers in teaching in advertising. Why would you want to come and do this? And it took a while to convince everyone like, no, there is a need for this. And so 
I think it was the very first pop-up that I had my parents were not work helped out. They were very insistent on like, we're going to come and help you out. Like it's your first one. We want to be there for it. And there was a lot of people that were hovering around us wanting to try Cambodian food. And let me tell you like the positive part. And then like, maybe like, you know, some negative kind of like, what's that small sort of thing. But we wanted to make a menu. It was like five items. We wanted to be a little safe and didn't want to scare people off too much. But then we also wanted to be authentic with the food, like something that you've never had before, not even in like Southeast Asian cuisines, like only Cambodia has this. So we did like shrimp fritters, which, you know, it's fried and it's shrimp and it's crispy and it's mung beans. Like who's not going to like that? And then we had stuffed wings, which is a whole chicken wing deboned, stuffed with ground pork and mushrooms and glass noodles, and then deep fried. Even though you can't get that really anywhere, like who's not going to like a deep fried wing? You know, that's already delicious as it is, but then like you stuff it with seasoning and pork and then there's no bones. And then we had this steamed white fish wrapped in a banana leaf called a mok. That's very, you know, Cambodian. And it has coconut in there. It's very visually pleasing. So I'm like, okay, it's it's fish. You know, it's like, what's not to like? There were collard greens at the bottom. And then we also had a soup called salamachu krung, which is a green soup. It's got water spinach, Thai eggplant in there. I think we had beef was our protein. And that's also very Cambodian because it has that lemongrass paste and it has that fermented mudfish in there. But if you know how to use those two ingredients, then it's not so pungent. It's it's not going to scare anyone off. It's a soup. It's delicious. And then we had this pumpkin dessert. So it was crazy. It was like a five menu item. I think we had like 10 people working our, our first pop-up, which is like five, seven too many. But we didn't know. It was like, everyone fill your car as much as possible and go to this bar and help us out. But yeah, it was we had a lot of positive feedback. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, I've never had this food before. This is amazing. And we had a few safe items in there and then like very Cambodian items in there. So it was just kind of like, what would you like? You know, like curate your own plate. But there are other times, you know, I can think of where I'm stir frying something and the fish sauce hits a hot pan. (laughs) And I see people getting up and moving away and sitting somewhere else. So that's happened before, you know, and it's just fish sauce. There's nothing exotic about it. What doesn't have fish sauce in it, you know? Or like this one time, this lady was like, is she going to keep cooking with garlic? And I'm just oh. like, it's garlic. Like who, who hates garlic? Like, She's a vampire. <laughs> she, that's what it was. She was a vampire. <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't know. It, 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 I didn't take offense to that garlic comment. It was just like, you maybe just don't like food. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't anything about like our food, but I think a lot of folks were just curious. Like that was like the, I guess like in the beginning years, just a lot of people were curious about it. They were like, I've never had Cambodian food. Or they'll say, I I visited there one. But then slowly we had people coming over and over again and saying like, I just moved here. I miss my mom's cooking or I'm Cambodian or I lived in Cambodia in the Peace Corps. And those stories, we didn't expect that to happen. And then now we see them still like six years later, like they'll come to our supper clubs and our pop-ups. And one of our first eaters had us cater their wedding. So I don't know, those connections are kind of awesome. And like, I don't know, it's just like a nice surprise. Like we just didn't, we were just like, we just want to feed you Cambodian food. Like we didn't expect to make lifelong friends, you know, or be at your wedding. (laughs) Yeah, some of the, some of the words that I thought were interesting that you used were safe or we were worried it was going to scare away people do you feel 
like in, in now the success of Mama Kong and obviously having established yourself in a few years, do you still kind of feel any of that fear when you're introducing new dishes to your menu? Or are you feeling like, we know this is good. We know that there's an appetite for it. Or how do you kind of feel today? I definitely feel a lot more confidence in our food and our cuisine. I think like, like you're saying, like that first one, we were like, let's throw in some hardcore Cambodian dishes and then throw in like one or two safe ones because we still, you know, at the end of the day, like we like money, you know, like we'd like you to buy something. <laughs> um, but yeah, fast forward a few years later, I'm not scared of it anymore because I know after doing this for years now, like there are people who want this cuisine. If the feedback has been great. And also I think just it's built up my confidence and sharing the story of my people's cuisine and talking about my mom and what she went through and just these ingredients. But what's funny, it's funny you ask that because it's still like I'm, I'm on the phone with my mom and I'm like, hey, we're doing this thing. Like, what what do you think should be on the menu? And we'll just kind of like brainstorm back and forth, just like throw ideas out there. And she's actually the one that's a little bit timid still. She's like, no, 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 no. And she, she always has been. She's like, I don't think the American folks, like Westerners will like eat this food that fermented mudfish like smells so bad, you're going to lose customers. And she's the one that's telling me this. And I'm just like, mom, what are you scared of? You've worked or you've helped us out at a few of these events before. Like you see that there's like a line, you see that we sell out. So there is a demand for it. But I think there's like something in her, I think that just still is like, are they ready? Are they ready? I'm like, you, you witnessed it. You, you've observed it before. Like they are ready. And you know, you can't just like keep giving them like the same safe, dishes like everyone loves a stir fry but it's like we're more than just that lemongrass paste stir fry over rice like we are a lot more than that and like let's just expose people to that and like if they don't like it they don't have to buy it they don't have to come back but just to be like don't put it on the menu at all I don't know we just have to kind of be a little brave you know and sometimes we'll come to an agreement but I think at the end of the day it is our business so I have to like go with my gut and say this is what's going on the menu and if it's the wrong choice, then I will put it on there next time, you know, and please everybody. Yeah, no, that that's, that's a really interesting anecdote to have your mom kind of express some of those concerns. And and now you're having to encourage her to feel a little bit more confident to like to trust that there is that demand. You reference Mama Kong as kind of Austin's like nomadic kitchen. And you've mentioned that Y'all, you know, started out as pop-ups and stuff. You like curate different events and go cater for different like places. And you mentioned a little bit about brick and mortar and and that type of stuff. But I'm just curious, like eventually, is that something that's in your plan? Or how do you see kind of still providing Mama Kong and in what kind of capacity or medium? That is such a a loaded question (laughs) even after all of these years that we've just been doing this it's it always just like goes back and forth and when we came to Austin to move back to our hometown to introduce folks to Cambodian food we had this grandiose idea to open up a brick and mortar or to have a food truck and then once we dove into locations and prices and things like that we were just like whoa like this is like crazy like I can't believe how naive we were we're just like, you know, let's quit our jobs. Like, let's quit teaching and let's quit advertising. Just move back to Austin and open up a restaurant, like thinking that it would be so easy. But the more we kind of like explored it, 
the more reserved we were and we were like, this is going to take a lot of work. This is not going to be easy. And our families were just like, what are you doing? Like I put you through school. I did all of this for you so that you wouldn't know the meaning of hard work. And as donut shop owners, they were just like, you don't sleep. You're worried about money all the time and rent and all this. And also, you know, anyway, it was just crazy. Um, So we kind of, well, 2020 really was like what halted the whole idea. We were actually like exploring property in 2020, January, February, looking at food trucks, looking at like spaces. And then of course, 2020 happened. And we were like, well, shoot, like, did we just dodge a bullet? You know, like, what if we had just taken all of our Kickstarter money and just dumped it into a spot? And then, you know, like, and now we're like dealing with lockdown. And Brandon and I were like, well, luckily, we didn't have to furlough anybody. It's just the two of us. Like, we can pivot. You know, we don't have anything. It was just so sad. Like, so many businesses were, like, shutting down that year. And I was like, like, every time it was like, oh, so-and-so didn't make it. So-and-so didn't make it. I was like, that could have been us, you know, like we would have been shut down even before we got started. And then that made us pivot into the speakeasy, which is like, you know what, we can't be in lockdown forever. How can we still cook without the whole contactless, you know, situation? So we decided to just like cook from home, put a cooler out in the front yard, like have people order food, pick a slot. And then we were just like, we realized like times are hard. If you have money, you can donate it, donate whatever through Venmo. If you don't, don't. Like, here's a free meal. Like, take as much or as little as you need. So we did that for, like, a year or two. I don't know how long. So I think 2020 revealed a lot of things and, like, cracks in the system that we didn't even realize because we were not restaurant owners. Just underpaid staff and just, like, all of these things that kind of, like, spooked us, really. Like, it spooked us. Like, we got scared and we're like, you know what? I don't know if we want that anymore we still want to feed people we still want to talk about Cambodian food and like we want to spread that movement and expose people to it but how do we do it without just dumping money into a space and so I think that's kind of where we are now like we're still feeding people we're still curating these dinners we're still doing pop-ups we're still hearing those stories about people missing their mom's cooking or they didn't know that Cambodian food existed in Austin. Like we're still doing those things and delivering on that mission just without pumping the money and just it's competitive now. Like Austin's crazy. Like the food scene's booming. And yeah, like I think some days we're like, we should be a part of that. But then other days I'm like, I don't know. I just, I think I like, like the intimacy of it, you know, and having control over it. And Folks who buy tickets to our dinners, like they're choosing to be there, you know, like they want to be there. They want to go on this ride, this food ride or whatever it is, if this experience that we are providing, you know, and I don't know, I, I think it's kind of like where we are now there. I don't know. It's a lot of work. It's crazy. And people are like, what are you all doing? But um, this is what we're doing. This is what makes sense to us right now. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I, what I hear from that too, is how important it is to help kind of create community yeah. your food and you mentioned a little bit for the listeners who don't know like the supper club it's a private intimate how many courses dinner right, so we, right? We, sell, we host these supper clubs where we sell tickets to a private dinner and it's like 20 to 25 seats and we just basically do like a five course meal we play like Cambodian rock and we do a welcome toast with some Hennessy and we kind of like I don't know. I just love those dinners. Like I said, like people are choosing to be there, which makes like a huge difference. But yeah, a bunch of strangers like walking into 
uh, private event space and going on this journey of deliciousness. And then at the end of it, you know, they're exchanging phone numbers. Yeah. When I think of Mama Kong, I think of active participation, not passive, just like someone going out to eat. It's like an experience that you're giving, they're receiving, they're giving back to you. So I really appreciate that about the direction that y'all are are currently in with Mama Kong and what feels right. So um, it feels right to us right now. So Sherry, you mentioned you run the business with Brandon. Could you tell us a little bit about Brandon and how is it running, you know, the business with your partner and really trying to build this community around Cambodian food that that is not present in Austin? What's that like? Brandon and I go way back. We are both unicorns. So he also is an Austinite. We went to the same high school together. So I've known him for a very, very long time. And he's also, you know, been a part of my Cambodian family way longer than he hasn't been a part of the family. So he also has a great palate. He also knows the food. And he he did the right thing when he first had it was eat the food. So, you know, when you go to someone's house and they put food in front of you, like you eat the food and he just no hesitation, ate it, wanted more, everything. So when we decided to hit the reset button on life and move back to Austin, he was in advertising, like I mentioned, and I was a preschool teacher. And we we always wanted to be our own bosses one day. We just didn't know when or what that looked like. It all really happened when I just, every time I moved away, not that it was a lot, I would miss my mom's cooking. And I had no idea how to make it because I was a dumb little girl who never stayed in the kitchen and like, you know, took the time to learn them. So I remember we were in Brooklyn having brunch and we both were like, why don't we move back home and learn my mom's recipes and introduce Austinites to Cambodian food? And I actually think that that was like his idea. And I was like, that sounds like a fantastic idea. I absolutely like, let's do it. Let's kind of like unplug life here and go do next adventure. So, I mean, along the way, we've just been like, he and I are like very good together as far as personalities go. We have a friend of my mom's who she reads palms and we had our palms read and she said that Brandon and I couldn't be more alike. And she was like, I think they are just so well balanced and kind of like yin yang kind of situation. And so I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm with the right person, according to my mom's friend. But no, we work really well together. Like, I think we like balance each other out really well. He's not amazing in the kitchen. Like we definitely have our strengths and that came more toward the forefront when the further into the business we got. And I'm like, come cook with me. You know, like I'm always in the kitchen. Like I just love cooking. If it's not Cambodian food, it's pasta. It's something else. Like I'm always really curious to learn new dishes and I, I have cravings and I'm just very like, make what you crave. Like that's my thing, you know? And he's more like, the creative brain like he's like the visionary he's the accountant like the spreadsheets the you know like I want to make this menu visually pleasing let me do some stuff on photoshop and everything that you see really on our social media it's all him you know like I am very much hands-on like the physical labor of like being in the kitchen but he's also physical labor like piling in the the tables and, you know, renting the chairs and unloading stuff and the burners and the propane. He's like physical muscle there, but I couldn't do all of this stuff that he can do, you know? And sometimes when we butt heads, because we've known each other for so long, we've been married for so long. If we're feeling a little bit stressed, like we start to kind of throw our little tantrums in our own way. 
And I'm like, you know, I've been on my feet all day and I'm just like making these five dishes with no help and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I could really use your help, you know, like, please put down the laptop. I think we sat down one time and we were just like, we both have our strengths, you know, like I couldn't do what you do and you couldn't do, like, it's just, we need to respect that part of what we bring to the table, you know? We, we, we make a good team together. We, we do butt head, but I think it's just because we know what buttons to push and we just know each other too well. But like, he's a great life partner, business partner. He's, he's my dude. So. Yeah. What a sweet story and giving us all hope, or at least for a single people, you know, <laughs> partnership and relationships alone. Also, I forget to mention, he is a fantastic ally. If you wanted to kind of go down our social media, like Instagram, like in the beginning stages, there were a lot of photos of us, but you know, it's a Cambodian girl and white man, like selling Cambodian food. Like that doesn't really, but times have changed, right? Like I think six years ago, that would have been like, I'm not saying like, it's not okay now, but I feel like he, he's like so good and aware, even sometimes like better than I am, where he like knows he needs to kind of like take a step back, like interviews, like this podcast, I think past interviews that we've done he'll be right here next to me on the couch. And we're both kind of talking about the business because it is our business. It's our baby. But he's like, you know what? It's going to be less of me. Cause like you need the platform. You need the spotlight on you. It's Cambodian food. Like I'm here to support you. I'm here for whatever you need. But he also knows, I don't know. He's just like a good white dude. I, and I'm not just saying that cause he's my husband, but like he really is. And he's like super reflective just in general, like about life and just like, being a good person and like really like she's like how can I be better today you know he's a good dude yeah right? <laughs> I, I was about to say I can attest for that Brandon's an awesome guy uh, we've had great conversations and yeah he's just a really sweet stand-up guy so that's awesome yeah what a what a sweet story and and really what sounds like he was helping you push to recognize is this innate desire to celebrate your culture and this childhood that you had and so really 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 love that he asks yeah. all the right questions. Yeah. And Ask the questions that will prompt me to give good answers. You know, he's just like, he'll set it up and he's like, and Sherry, go. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And kind of speaking of the community, and I'm curious what early memories you have of Austin's local Cambodian community. I'm not as familiar with it, to be honest. So I'm just curious if you can share any early memories from it. And I think you've shared previously too that your mom's known in the Austin Cambodian community as being like a good cook so it sounds like it's a pretty tight-knit community but yeah just curious if you can share a little early memories of what that community was like for you. In the 80s it was a lot tighter and like tight-knit in the 80s because there weren't a lot of Cambodian folks in Austin. I remember taking trips to California, Long Beach specifically because there's like a big Cambodian community there we would just caravan the the few that were here in Austin would just like get in our vans. Like each family had a van. There were like maybe four or five vans that would just go all the way to California road trip. And then just like say hi to like, you know, the non cousin cousins of theirs or folks that they knew in Cambodia in the motherland. And then we just like spent a couple of weeks there and just kind of basically like it was like a reunion you know and I'm like who are you who are you and then my parents were like oh this is so and so but like every year we would do this and I just remember being in elementary school just like oh it's that time of year where we go to California and you know the, it was always like a pit stop at McDonald's like on the way out and everyone got like a big breakfast you know <laughs> and there weren't many of us back in the 80s and so I had 
a few non like play cousins non-cousin cousins and because my parents were like really good friends with their parents we didn't get to have a lot of sleepovers you know but every birthday party we'd see them every graduation every big occasion everyone would get together and fast forward to today it's huge i think i would you know tell my mom someone came to our pop-up and she's cambodian do you know her mom and it's, I, I just don't recognize anyone anymore because like back in the day like everyone knew each other you know we were all we always got invited to the same parties and you'd see like the same 20 families over and over again and then now it's just like my parents can't keep track because there are more cambodian families moving in and especially now that they have a cambodian temple that just got built in out in Maynard, there are like just more and more Cambodian folks. And when I go there, I talk to my parents about who's this and who's that. They're just, I don't know, I, I can't keep up. And it was already kind of happening in my middle school, high school years where it kind of like split up into like the North Austin Cambodian community and then a Cedar Park kind of Cambodian community. And then there was like a Del Valley Cambodian community. So they, we all kind of went, you know, our kind of separate ways, but it's definitely a lot bigger. And even my parents, I'm like, I don't know anyone anymore, you know, and they're like, I, we don't either. <laughs> and I just assume my parents know everyone, you know, because they're like an older generation and group of Cambodian communities. But it's, it's big now, which is great, you know, like, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I know, for your sixth anniversary, you were able to do like, Cambodian New Year barbecue celebration. And I know you, I, I think you might have also gone or your family might have gone to the the temple. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm just curious, like what the reception has been from maybe like non-family friends in the right, Cambodian right. community who are like, oh, who's this? What's what's she doing? <laughs> what's what's so going weird. on here? I, I, when we first started out as a business, this is, this might be like sound kind of funny to say, but like the older Cambodian community, they weren't our clientele. And let me explain. Because when you're an older generation, you eat at home, or your mom is the best cook, or you go to an auntie's house and you eat there, or you have these family meals that just take place inside the home. And so when we started out, we were kind of catering to like a different kind of clientele. Because Cambodian people who are from Cambodia don't really need an education on Cambodian food. They already know it. They probably have a bunch of jars of fermented mudfish in their pantry. Like they already know it. We didn't have to educate them. So we wanted to kind of educate like Westerners or like a younger generation of folks who have never been exposed to Cambodian food. I don't I don't think my mom's friends even knew what we did for a living that we were making Cambodian food, you know, and maybe they would have like their side conversations like on the phone or when they gathered with each other. But I don't think they knew that we existed for years. <laughs> Until maybe like a couple of years ago, they're like, wait, I saw something online or their kids are starting to tell them, hey, there's a mama Kong Cambodian thing. And then my mom will be like, yeah, that's my daughter. But they didn't know. And so I think it's kind of like this word of mouth that's spreading and happening. That's kind of cool to see in a organic way. I really appreciate you naming this kind of nuance between like the older generation and people of our generation, where I see that with Vietnamese restaurants as well, too. And my parents, right, there's the old maybe guard of Vietnamese restaurants that they're familiar with or also, yeah, if they're going to go you know, the North Lamar restaurants, basically. Right, right? Right, right. And then there's some of these fancier Vietnamese restaurants, maybe also created or run by 
our parents' kids and, and that generation of folks. And it's a different flair yeah. to it and things yeah. like that. And, you know, sometimes I'll take my parents to to those restaurants and they'll be like, that's cute. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, we don't need to. Is like, I think if I were to um, expose our food or try to get these like Cambodian aunties or grandmas to eat my food, like they're never going to be pleased with it, you know, because I yeah. know, I know, because my mom's never pleased with anything. So they're like, I, I can make this better at home, or I can make this cheaper at home. And you know, like, I remember going to an Italian restaurant, my mom's like, I can make this better. And I'm like, yeah. how can you make Italian pasta better than this Italian person or this? <laughs> yeah. That's, like that, so. I was talking recently with someone about the Venn diagram of what makes a meal good or food good. And it's like, how cheap did you make it? And how mm-hmm. how tasty is it? Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. that's the experience growing up with my mom. And yeah. maybe like for a lot of immigrants, parents who had to like be very resourceful in exactly. what they were able to, to create yeah. food with, that's like a badge of honor or like, you know, a sense of pride to be able to create really tasty food with limited resources so I hear that comment a lot when I take my parents out to eat of like I remember showing my parents how we priced our menu that first round and this is at a bar on the east side Kitty Collins and she was like you're gonna lose customers because no one's gonna pay this because it's too much and I think something was like I don't know twelve dollars for rice and meat and then like this pickling and whatever and she was like that's too much I'm like mom they have cocktails in there for $15. And this is like a whole platter. Like, and it, it's just like this, I don't know. I, I don't know about your folks. They don't eat out. So they don't, they're not aware about restaurant prices or just service industry things. But I'm like, come with me, come with me to this pop-up and you'll see. And then they're like, wow. But yeah. they still kind of like, they, it's it's like rewiring and it's really hard for them to do, you know? They're I mean, like, we can dive into oh, just the sure. like trauma, like all yeah. of the survivalist uh, instincts and like methods that kind of inform that type of thinking, but we we will say that for another time. Um, yeah, I, I was just gonna ask, and I know I recognize this is probably ever evolving for for you and Brandon as as the business continues to grow. But when you look at Mama Kong and when you look back, how will you really say, "Wow, we've really been successful"? I try not to. And this, it sounds bad because it sounds like I don't have any goals for the future. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I think if we were to throw in the towel tomorrow, I already see this business as being a success because people, we've exposed them to this food. You know, I'm already kind of seeing this movement taking this, I don't know, it's like this, this momentum that happened that I, six years ago, like we didn't see it. Like even just moving to Austin and trying to explain to people what a pop-up was. And a lot of folks still don't know what it is. They're like, wait, so is it a brick and mortar or a truck? And I'm like, it's neither. Like it's it's a pop-up. And they're like, what's a pop-up? And then it was just like, a, we sounded like a broken record and explaining to people what a pop-up is. And it's like, basically it's a food truck minus the truck. We take our burners, we take our propane, we take all of the things and we set it up there and we sell food and then we break it down and then we just pop up and we pop down. And I mean, it was like a few years of educating people what even that word is. And now like you can't escape it. Everybody knows what a pop-up is, but just even using that word because New York was doing pop-ups, like every other big city was doing it. And I feel like we were kind of in the beginning of that 
movement and just sharing our food and sharing our stories and kind of seeing more and more people be aware of the word Cambodian, you know, or knowing where it is or what it's similar to. And I don't know, I just, I think on days where we are feeling kind of low and just like, what are we doing? Like, we're such failures. Like, I, I kind of look back and we've done a lot, you know, like we've made a lot of connections. We've connected a lot of people and just exposing them to this food. And I don't know, I, I feel I could walk away saying that I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing, you know, and continue to do. Success doesn't have to be a restaurant or a truck. Success and food can look like a lot of different things. And I want to show people that it can. It can be a supper club. It can be catering. It could be a private chef. It could be meal prepping. It could be, you can still feed people outside of the umbrella that is a brick and mortar or a truck. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> I think as we wrap up the interview, we have, we do a rapid fire at the end, but before we get to that, I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about today, what is your relationship with your Cambodian identity and how has the Mama Kong impacted that? It's impacted it in like a huge way. I think when we started this or like, I don't know, I was like an awkward little Cambodian girl. Like I didn't talk a lot. I was very shy. If my mom just like looked at me, didn't have to say anything. Like I just wouldn't speak or like I would go on dates with Brandon back when we were dating and just like not say anything. And I was just very like pipsqueak, you know, and awkward because I was like, am I going to say the wrong thing? Is this going to be weird? And just, is this too Asian? Is it not Asian enough? I don't know. It's just like a lot of like questions like that of wanting to belong, you know, wanting to be very westernized and that's another thing that we can dive into like and unpack um but the sherry now is completely different than the little girl sherry even like a decade ago sherry is they're two different people and i think that just comes with time and experiences and just patience and the older you get i feel like a lot of things are like out of your control. So there's a lot of like wasted energy and time and like mental space. It just takes up a lot of space to like worry about things that are out of your control. And I'm I'm saying that out loud to myself because I'm a worry ward. Like I'm always worried about stuff. I'm always like very timid. I'm always like, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing enough? Just constantly like those questions. So I feel like just this business, not controlling how people, if they like your food or not, or like if they're going to pay for this or not, or if they think it's too expensive or not enough. It's like, it forces you to really reflect and be like, what is my worth? You know, is this time worth it for me? Is, you know, all of it just like running around the cooking, the prepping, the, what is it all worth? And then when we have these dinners or we meet someone who we're just having this connection with at the end of the day, I'm like, that was worth it. Like I haven't slept in a week because I've been worried about this dinner or whatever, but after it's all over, it's worth it because someone goes, thank you so much for doing this. Your soup really made me feel comforted because I, I just moved here and I don't have any friends. And I'm like, well, look at you. Like now you have friends, like you just sat for our dinner and I'll be your friend. You know, it's just those connections, those hosting that barbecue for our anniversary, you know, like, like, I think it was like close to 100 people that showed up. And 
they're exchanging numbers and now they're hanging out outside of us, you know, but it's like things like that, that really make it worth it. And it's just, I don't know, I, those, seeing those things unfold makes me more confident, makes me more confident about the food, makes me more confident about like telling our story. And I always say representation matters, you know, like I didn't have it when I was younger. Like I just, what I had existed in my living room with my play cousins, but going out to eat in Austin, there was no Cambodian food. I had to go all the way to California or even like Houston. And I don't know, I just feel like that's to be seen. And someone says like, I see you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for representing me. That's what makes it worth it. And we didn't think about that while we were introducing people to Mama Kong. We didn't expect it to unfold that way, you know, but it just, that's what's happening. And that's like bigger than me. It's bigger than you or Brandon, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's It's really beautiful. How can people find Mama Kong? How can they do, do your plug? We are kind of like a catch us if you can um, <laughs> food operation. So we do pop-ups, we do supper clubs. Um, you, If you want us to cater any sort of event, you can reach us on Instagram. Our email is mamakongskitchen um, at gmail.com. You can send us a message, IG, and yeah, buy a ticket to our supper club, show up at one of our pop-ups. That's awesome. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for letting us see and hear you. What a beautiful story. Really feel honored that you spend a little time with us. And we'd like to wrap up all of our episodes with a quick rapid fire. So let us know what comes to mind. First question is, what is your favorite Asian restaurant in Austin? I'm an old school girl. I'm going to say Chiang Mai. <laughs> I would say Sea Dragon if Sea Dragon was still around. Like Ooh. for OGs. The cult, uh, before the culture, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Sea Dragon, but RIP, Chiang Mai. I love Chiang Mai and Din Ho. I'm just, I love the the old school, the old school folks. They remind me of my folks. That's why, you know, you walk in and like my dad's like shaking hands with the owner. And now like the kids are taking over. They're just sweet, sweet people. The food's so good. Yeah. I feel robbed that I didn't get to go to like a wedding at. Ah, we had our wedding at Sea Dragon. <laughs> really there's been many like celebrations that i've gone to at sea dragon but yeah that's that's amazing that y'all had y'all's wedding Um, what is your favorite asian snack growing up i like the uh, white rabbit candy it's like a white wrapper and like you open it and there's like this layer of a wrapper that's like edible and like you eat the whole thing and it melts in your mouth it's like super creamy and like not too sweet (laughs) Yeah, not too sweet. The the staple compliment. I actually don't like the candy, but I like the ice cream. The ice cream's good. There's ice cream? Yeah. They used to sell it at Costco, but all the Asian grocery stores have them. So you should try that out. Last question. Where can we find you? Where's your favorite Austin pastime? What are you what are you doing with your free time? I well, with my free time, I always love happy hours. I love going out to eat and drinking of course martinis specifically oyster martinis some fries it's like a perfect perfect adult happy meal right there but I I love being at Emma Long City Park Metropolitan Park I like going when it's like there's no one there though like where it's like on a Tuesday afternoon or something like I love the shade that like that it creates down there and just I don't know like the clamshells at your feet I don't know and I think that's like a little nostalgia spot for us too like we used to all go there and barbecue when we were like poor and didn't have any money. And anyway, so I still love it as an adult. I know the obvious answer is Barton Springs, but I'm like, no, Emma Long. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. I appreciate the Emma Long shout out. Sherry, this has been amazing. Really, thank you for spending some time with us. and For having me. This was fun. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> Thanks for picking my brain and let me ramble about life in this business and childhood and Cambodian food. Y'all are amazing. Yeah, you're doing really good stuff for the community. So we appreciate you. Thank you. Come on out and try some food. Definitely. Yeah, so food is such like an, a big important part of my life. And I think at the end of the day, the way that I definitely still connect with my family is always through food. That's always going to be the connector for us. So I love Sherry's story and, and sharing that and her ability to kind of build community around that. So I'm looking forward to to doing that more and um, wanted to kind of reiterate how sweet and deeply cute it was to hear her story and really the allyship from her partner. I think that is, is such an important part in allyship and having a partner that truly sees you, recognizes you, and wants to amplify really a big part of your cultural identity. What's interesting, Min and I, you know, I've talked about it, is it sounds surface level, but something I know that I look for in partnership is being able to share and bond over food. It's such a big, important part of my life. And so hearing Sherry gives me a little bit of hope <laughs> for relationships in the future. I think previously, in my past, I've had partners who just are like, ooh, that's too exotic. Fish sauce? I don't know about that. Let me step away. And so just kind of hearing that and reminding myself that that is so key in, in what I look for was really nice. And I think being able to share all of you with someone is very special, whether that's your partner, your friends, or just like the community in general. And I think that's what I really appreciated about Sherry, sharing more about their mission and how it really fills their cup. And that feels like a measure of success for them is how much community they've been able to build through Mama Kong. And I've been to some of their events and I can say like, it feels like, yes, I have a personal connection with them, but even those that she's mentioning of like their first time kind of customers who still keep coming back, like it really does feel like a community of good friends that have bonded over really good food. And I think that's so amazing to have associated with her business. Yeah. And I'm going to get on my high horse for like two seconds and push everyone to continue supporting local places. You know, for every new restaurant that opens up three close, especially local ones. And we see it happen all the time, especially post-COVID. So seek out the Mama Kongs of the world of Austin. Make sure that we're we're continuing to support those local businesses is so important. They really are not in it for the profitability. It's to create these communities, share their personal family recipes and all this amazingness with the community. So if you get a chance, definitely support Mama Kong and others. All right, y'all. Well, that does it for this episode. We'll see you in the next one. Appreciate y'all sticking around and being here with us. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.